0: good morning. My name is Eric. The Old Testament reading can be found in the book of Ruth, chapter one, verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The word of the Lord. My name is David. The New Testament reading is found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. God put everything under Christ's feet and made him head of everything in the church, which is his body. The body, his body, the church, is the fullness of Christ who fills everything. In every way. The Word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Debbie. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John 66 through 69. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God, the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. Would you remain standing as we pray? If you're new around here, one of the reasons we stand for the gospel reading is it's a way of reminding us that the testimony of Jesus, the life of Jesus, is the very center of the Bible itself. And so we stand to acknowledge that we read the Bible through this lens of who Jesus is. is. And in in some churches, the gospel reading is done kind of in the middle of the room as a way of reminding us that Christ came as the word of God to dwell among us. So with that in mind, keep standing We're going to pray. Plus, the squeaky chairs. It's a great sound to hear again. Travis has smells. I got sounds. So, here we go. Lord, thank you for your word to us. We thank you for uh, the way that we remember who you are. And we ask you now by your Holy Spirit that you would awaken us, that you would uh, bring us alive to yourself and to your word. Speaking God, speak again now through your word, through this time. We're listening. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Some of you, this is your first chance to get back to a new life downtown at Palmer High School. We're so grateful for you. Everyone watching online, we do miss you. As Pastor Jason said, can't wait to see you in here. It is great to be back. Uh, This morning we're starting a new series on the book of Ruth and we're calling it The Outsider. And as we tell more about this story, as we unpack this story, it'll become more clear why we're calling it uh, The Outsider. Now I want to dispel some myths up top about the book of Ruth. Uh, Sometimes we've sort of thought that that the book of Ruth is sort of for the ladies so this is like if you're doing a women's Bible study. Oh, let's let's look at the book of Ruth. You know, as if the writers of the Old Testament or the compilers of the Old Testament were like, you know, we got too many war and blood and violence stories. Enough of like David cutting off giant's head. Can we tell a little love story and let's throw this in there? Uh, that is not true. And this is a book like all of Scripture that is for every Christian. And it is the story of a woman, really two women, that is meant to show us the heart of God and his plan of salvation in a fresh and unique way. So not only is it not just for the ladies, it is one of the most powerful stories that gives us insight to the plan of God and the salvation of God, which also means, dispelling myth number two, that this is not a love story. Uh, this is. You're not going to get to chapter three and think that this is dating advice. You're not going to think that this is a Hallmark movie of a desperate woman and an eligible bachelor. Uh, in fact, if you read the story that way and actually pay attention to the details, it's kind of gross if you read it that way. Uh, that is not what this book is. This is the story of remarkable faith and a remarkable rescue of someone who found themselves outside and on the edges of the activity of God. And so we're calling it The Outsider so you can pay attention to those themes as we go through this book. As I was thinking about this morning, the the title of our first week one here in, in Ruth chapter one is Where Are You Running To? Where are you running to? As a kid, I had a bit of that melancholy streak in me. It later showed up as like melancholy musician, songwriter. Uh, but as a boy, it was just, I was, you know, there was, some, there was some deep feelings. I would feel the feels, you know. And so I, I, I have this vague recollection of me. I don't know. My, my mom could probably tell. I was probably five or six years old. I would feel like... Um, you know, my, my older sister, my cousins were all older and they would come to visit and they would all play together and we'd be playing like Monopoly or something like that. And because I was five or six, I didn't do so good at the game. And so, you know, my response was just to flip the board over. I mean, no big deal. I mean, like, like why? I don't understand why that made them not want to play with me anymore. But then they would all leave and go play another game somewhere else and I would feel all on, on alone. And so I would run away. Like every good, well-loved six-year-old kid does, you know? But I ran away to, like, the neighbor's house, like, two doors down. So I do think Mrs. Albuquerque is probably one of the saints I'm giving God thanks for today. Because I would run two doors down to Mrs. Albuquerque's house, and I think she was, uh, Portuguese and Indian, and, 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 and she, uh, would have some cookies, biscuits out for us, and some tea and some juice. Well, it probably wasn't tea. It was probably juice. And then she'd sneak away to the back and call my mom and say, Glenn's here. Don't worry. Everything's fine. I'll send him back in a little while. <laughs> That's where I would run to. And if I, did, if I wasn't running to Mrs. Albuquerque's house, I was running much closer to home, just across the street. So we lived on a row of terrace houses, houses that are all sort of connected, and our street was here, and then there was a busier road kind of above, and there was this berm of, of grass and, uh, in between it. And on that sort of sp- a patch of grass, this little berm, there were several trees, and there was one tree stump and one boulder that were just perfectly placed, that when I sat in just the right spot, this was no longer a stone and a tree stump, this was the Millennium Falcon. And so there were some days when I felt particularly melancholy or emotional and I thought, I'm going to the Falcon. Nobody disturb me. I'm going to find a galaxy far, far away. We all have things that we turn to when we're not feeling good. We have places that we run to when we're feeling sad or feeling bad. And those are fun, they're funny stories and then there are serious moments. And what we find in Ruth chapter 1 is we're confronted with a situation right off the bat. Of a family who leaves their home, who leaves the land that they belong to and the people that they belong to because they've come across hard times. Ruth is written kind of like a play. And I say this not to say anything about the historicity of the book, but to help you notice the literary features of this book. (laughs) If you're a person who enjoys literature or you would read plays for fun or maybe you were in theater growing up, you, you, you might enjoy this book because it doesn't give us a list of things. It's not even a narrator as much telling the story. Most of what we learn about the action and about God comes through dialogue. This book is heavy with dialogue. There's long uh, conversations between people. And so I want us to imagine this morning that Ruth chapter one is act one of the story with three scenes. Are you ready? And scene one is running to Moab. Scene one is running to Moab. Verse one, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can follow along on the screen. Only downside is you can't circle stuff, or underline and all that. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Let me stop right there. Ruth follows the book of Judges. And the book of Judges ends with a particularly grisly story about the mistreatment of a woman. If you've ever read the book of Judges, it is a very disturbing story. And the only thing possibly worse than the mistreatment of this woman is the vigilante justice that they sort of attempt It's like a a TV series or a movie where you think something bad happened and then to respond to it, something worse happens. And you get to the end of the book of Judges and you're like, oh my gosh, are, 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 are powerful men misusing their power in ways that destroy the nation and make life terrible for women? That's the backdrop. And the reason Ruth opens with, in the time when Judges ruled, it's to remind us, you know, the days where there was a lot of chaos. Where it might not have been likely to find a woman who was the hero of a story. There was a famine in the land. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judah. Bethlehem means house of bread. Lachem, The house of bread. And it's telling us that there was a man who lived in the house of bread. And there was no more bread. Once there was a man who lived in the house of bread who ran out of bread. And together with his wife and two sons went to live for a while. That phrase means temporarily a resident alien lived for a while not moved not relocated not set up permanent residence but a man who moved temporarily to the country of Moab his name was Elimelech God is my king his wife's name was Naomi and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion literally sickly and done for I'm telling there's a lot of literature in this story there was once a man from the house of bread and they ran out of bread and he took his wife Naomi and their two sons sickly and done for. And they were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem, Judah and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons and they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both sickly and done for also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, the Bible is not gratuitous in its details, but it is scandalous in its plot lines. And we have to ask ourselves right off the bat in scene one, this is that moment where if I was watching a Dear Evan Hansen or some sort of play that I don't know a lot about, but my daughters know a lot about, they'd be saying, now, Dad, this is what's actually going on here. That's what I'm going to do for you right here. What's the deal with Moab? Moab. Why did they run to Moab? Normally, when Israel got into trouble, they ran to Egypt. You see the story in Genesis. There's a famine. They go to Egypt. Moab is an unlikely choice for a place to turn to. In Genesis, Moab the man is the name of the son of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his eldest daughter. For the sake of kids in the room, I won't unpack that anymore. But it's a disturbing beginning to Moab. In the book of Numbers, the king of Moab tries to get Balaam to curse Israel. Say something bad about the people of God. Moab later in the book of Numbers, a few chapters later, seduces Israel by drawing them into relationships with Moabite women who would then get them to worship other gods. In the book of Deuteronomy, God forbids Israel from taking Moabite land, so there's something friendly, but then he forbids Moabites from joining the Israelites up until 10 generations. Ruth is a Moabite widow who has lost her husband, her brother-in-law, and her father-in-law. And in the backdrop, we're meant to remember, how does a Moabite join the people of God? Moses said, wait 10 generations. Right off the bat, this story is like, uh uh-oh how what, what is going to happen here in the book of judges eglon the king of moab is allowed to con- god allows him to conquer israel but then israel cries out to god and god delivers him later after the book of ruth the moabites are known as raiders not like the las vegas raiders although that image is maybe helpful Moabites, if we were to try a one-sentence summary, and there's risks in doing this, but we might say Moabites are known as a corrupting influence and sometimes an annoying influence to the people of God. It's an unusual place to turn to when life is hard. You're going where? You're going to which people? It's like the friend who falls on hard times and they return to their drinking buddies and you're like, are you, I mean, really, like, is that the best? Moabites are known as a corrupting influence and sometimes as an annoying nuisance to the people of God. And so the question I have for us in scene one is who are you running to? What is the Moab that you are running to? Get out of your mind the pictures of Moab, Utah, which is beautiful, I've heard. And think metaphorically with me. What is the Moab you are running to during the pandemic? There have been some amazing statistics on the disruption and what we've done to deal with the disruption. I was talking with a friend this morning who works in high tech, and he said yeah, something like 40% of people in the tech industry have changed jobs. Now, that's not automatically a bad thing. For many people, it was a good thing. You, you found uh, a, be- a better place, or you were able to say, look, if I could work from anywhere, why not work from Colorado Springs? I agree. A third of workers under 40 considered, seriously considered a job change during the pandemic. A third of workers under 40 seriously considered a job change. But then there are some other statistics. You say, well, that's neither good nor bad. Not necessarily true. But then there's some other statistics that are a little more concerning about the Moab we are running to. In 2020, alcohol consumption was up 14% over 2019. Bars and pubs are closed, but we're drinking more. How about streaming, binging, Netflix watching? In the second quarter of 2020, like right when the pandemic began, listen to this. In the second quarter of 2020, there was a 75% increase in streaming minutes. I know, I was one of them. (laughs) I mean, I have gone through so many shows. I've watched entire catalogs of Seinfeld and other shows. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. (laughs) 75% up. How about sleep? Sleep? 54% of us got up later during the pandemic. Don't look at your neighbor. 49% stayed up later. Don't look at your neighbor. We're sleeping less, streaming more, drinking more, and thinking about changing our jobs. And then there was one stat that really stopped me in our tracks, because while we can chuckle at these others, we're really sobered by this next one. This is in our county. This is El Paso County, the coroner's report. In El Paso County, said there was a 69% increase in the number of opioid related deaths. That's the coroner's report. That's alarming. 69% increase in opioid related deaths. Some were accidents, some were suicides. That's troubling. Now, when you hear something like this, and typically when you hear something like this in church, what you expect is for the preacher to say, Stop it. You bad people, don't do those bad things. Read your Bible more. Some kind of moralistic finger wagging. But actually, I I hear those numbers and I think what we've learned from counselors and therapy about trauma is that the behaviors are not the real thing to pay attention to. The real thing to pay attention to is the wound we're trying to medicate. It's the loneliness we're trying to fix. It's the isolation we're trying to heal. Can I say to you that the point is not to say, stop doing these bad things. The point about recognizing that you're running to Moab is to say, but where's the famine? Where's the famine that you're experiencing in your soul? What we want for you here at New Life Downtown is not better behaviors and better short-term habits. And Glenn, I'm I'm reading the Bible in one year. Good or fine? That's great. What we want for you is not better short-term habits, but deeper healing. Deeper healing for these wounds. If I'm running to Moab, it's because I've started to believe that there's a famine. Or not believe, started to experience a famine. There's a real lack that's happening, a lack of care, a lack of love, a lack of intimacy. Why am I turning to these things? Scene one. Scene two is returning to Judah. Scene two is when they start to shift and say, we've got to go back to Judah. Verse six, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Pause here for a moment. Naomi heard, she heard, that the Lord was helping his people. I have heard that God was once again Providing bread in the house of bread. And it says she prepared to return home. This Hebrew word for return is the word shuv. It's used 12 times in this first chapter. It's the word that the prophets most often use for repentance. Every time God speaks through the prophets, the desired response is God speaks. The people repent. They shuv. Here, Naomi says, I've heard. I'm hearing something. I'm hearing that God is being faithful. So it's time to go back. It's time to return. It's time to repent. It's time to go where the Lord has visited his people. Now here's, the, as the verse 7, with her two daughters-in-law, she left that place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Here's the truth that we have to wrestle with. Trouble is everywhere, but salvation is found in Christ alone. Trouble is everywhere. Trouble is everywhere, but salvation is in Christ alone. And maybe, maybe you came to faith under the sort of false promises of a slick preacher. Believe in Jesus, and everything will be better in your life. Your business will be blessed. Your marriage will be saved. And you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, it'd be dumb to pass up on that. Sure, and you signed up to follow Jesus, and all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh, still got trouble. Doctor's report wasn't great. My grown kids aren't calling. <laughs> well, I thought I, I got trouble here. What the scriptures tell us is not that follow Jesus and your troubles will cease. They tell us, Jesus himself says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What's unique is not trouble. Trouble is ubiquitous. Everywhere you go, you could go any part of the world, there's different degrees of trouble. There's different extents of trouble. There's different extremes of it, of course. Sometimes it's at some moment in the pandemic, people said, well, it's the great equalizer. It wasn't exactly the great equalizer because people with access to healthcare certainly did better than people who did not. But there is a sense in which our mortality is the great equalizer that we recognize that trouble threats to our existence that's, that's everywhere nobody's getting out of this alive we're all going to die God bless you on this Sunday morning <laughs> trouble is everywhere but salvation is in Christ alone now here's the spoiler alert Ruth is going to end up in the genealogy of Jude- Jesus and Bethlehem is a town we're going to sing about in a few more weeks oh little town of Moab no we don't sing about Moab now this is problematic for us for us 21st century people who want to believe that everything is equal everywhere we would like this story to go like this Naomi was going through hard times but God met Naomi in Moab thanks be to God But God didn't meet Naomi in Moab. God started providing for his people in Judah. And if they wanted that, they had to go to Judah. And this is offensive to us. This is offensive to us because we don't like the particularity of God's salvation. We don't like it. It's great that salvation is for everyone. But we don't like that salvation is found in only one. Salvation is for everyone. That's good news. But we, the, the other part of it, but it's found in only one. We're like, oh, well, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, I li- in our world today, people are not offended by Jesus per se. So, well, Jesus, Jesus is great. Wow, what a great guy. I like him. What a good teacher. Seemed to have a, be a real good party thrower. Could even multiply the food, create wine when it ran out. What a guy. But then Jesus starts saying, no one comes to the Father except by me. And you're like, "Eh." do I have to? Do we have to talk like that? Glenn, can't we just say that the universe loves me? Can't we just say that the divine is everywhere? Can't we just, why do we have? Theologians call this the scandal of particularity. The offensiveness of God being revealed in one Jesus Christ. We say, oh, I like that it's for everyone, but I don't like that it comes through only one. C.S. Lewis, some 50, 60, probably 70 years ago, wrote this about how offended we are by the particularity of God's work. He says, to be quite frank, we don't at all like the idea of a chosen people. (laughs) Right you are, Lewis. We prefer to think that all nations and individuals start level in the search for God, or even that all religions are equally true. What Lewis is saying is back in his day, in the 50s, people wanted to say, look, all religions are equally true, but he says that is predicated on the idea that religions are all about mankind's search for God. And so Lewis is saying, look, if we're all searching for God, don't we all think that? That this is one way to find God, and this is another way to find God. And you remember the metaphors that were used in the 60s and the 70s. We're just all trying to climb up the mountain, and one uses this trail, and the other uses that trail. But we're just climbing the same mountain. And Lewis says the problem with that image is you are assuming that religion is about humanity's search for God. But Christianity does not say that. And he says it must be admitted that once... Christianity at once, that Christianity makes no concessions to this point of view. It does not tell of a human search for God at all, but of something done by God for, to, and about mankind. What Lewis is saying is the Christian story is not another version of a wise man trying to tap into the divine. The Christian story is a speaking God who says, Adam, why are you hiding? Who says, Abraham, get out of your father's house. Who says, Israel, come out of Egypt. Who calls to us through Jesus Christ, leave darkness and come into the lights. This is not our search for God, but God's search for us. And then he says, and the way in which it is done is selective and undemocratic to the highest degree. After the knowledge of God had been universally lost or obscured, one man from the whole earth, Abraham, is picked out. He is separated, miserably enough we may suppose, you can hear Lewis saying this, from his natural surroundings sent into a strange country and made the ancestor of a nation who are to carry the knowledge of the true God. And then he says it's not just one man and one nation, he says the story keeps narrowing. Within this nation there is further selection. Some die in the desert. Some remain behind in Babylon. This is further selection still. The process goes narrower and narrower, sharpening at last into one small, bright point like the head of a spear. It is a Jewish girl at her prayers. Mary herself. All humanity, so far as concerns its redemption, has come down to this one Jewish girl. Praying one day until an angel comes. That offends us. The scandal of particularity. But maybe if you're like, Glenn, I'm wrestling with that. That is hard for me. Maybe the words of the disciples are an encouragement to us. It's not the first time Jesus has said something offensive. John 6, our gospel reading. Jesus said, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the disciples people are like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I'm not into this. I don't even know what he's talking about. And Jesus says, will you leave too? And the disciples are like, I mean, we kind of want to, to be honest. <laughs> TBH, Jesus. I am really struggling with this R.N. I don't know what to do. And they say, but you know what? I am struggling, but to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Listen, some of you are in that place today, and you're like, Glenn, I, that, I do wrestle with that. I don't know what it means to say that Jesus is the only way, and that's difficult for me. I get it. But could you at least be at this place where you say, but honestly, where else am I going to go? Like, I, I, I don't know how to fully solve this puzzle, but where else am I going to go? Jesus is the only one who has the words of life. Trouble is everywhere, but salvation is found in Christ alone. Scene three, binding yourself to the people of God. Binding yourself to the people of God. We're going to read a bunch of verses here. Just listen to the story and the dialogue. And then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you. Repent. Don't repent with me and to Judah, but repent and go back to Moab. To your mother's home, may the Lord show you kindness. That Hebrew word is chesed, the stubborn, steadfast, loyal love of God. And Naomi's like, it's too late for me, but maybe God can be faithful to you as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. This is a reminder that 2,500 years ago or so in the ancient world, a woman had no agency, very little agency to take care of themselves. And Naomi's saying, if you don't find another husband, you're writing your death sentence. Find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? And she just spells it out. She shows the absurdity of this plan. Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you. My life is terrible. But yours doesn't have to be. Because the Lord's hand has turned against me. You start to see this bitterness seeping into Naomi. She's going to say, don't even call me Naomi, pleasant one anymore. Call me Mara, the bitter one. At this they wept aloud again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave. Don't say that again. (laughs) Don't, Don't say that again. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, these are the famous words. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. The irony of these words being used at weddings, and apologies if you used it in your wedding. The irony of these words being used at a wedding is that Ruth is not saying it to a man. (laughs) She's saying it to an old widow who's possibly barren and she, or not barren but postmenopausal. she's probably saying this to a person who's like you can do nothing for me but i am binding myself to you because i have nothing to gain from this and ruth is saying these words to naomi and then verse 17 where you die i will die and there i will be buried and may the lord deal with me ever so severely this is a flip Naomi says, may the Lord deal with you with kindness. And she says, no, if I don't follow you, may the Lord deal with me severely. If even death separates you and me. Wow. This is a love that is stronger than death. Ruth is demonstrating a love that she's wanting to be stronger than even death. What kind of love is that? When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Like, okay, you stubborn woman, fine. Stubborn love of God. Clinging, binding yourself to the people of God says to us that radical repentance always comes with a reordering of relationships. Radical repentance always comes with a reordering of relationships now we we, you know some of you grew up in an era where Christianity was so legalistic and moralistic and people were like if you don't you know if you play cards you're going to hell and if you hang out with people who have a beer you're going to hell and everything was you're going to hell and you know so we don't curse and we don't chew and we don't hang with those who do you know (laughs) I didn't even grow up in the south I knew that come on guys you knew that and we'd be so fussy about that that, that we kind of want to overcorrect and go to this other side and say, Jesus, God doesn't care. He doesn't care what I'm doing on a Friday night. Like, stop being so fussy. I love Jesus. He knows my heart. Get, lay off me. But the story of Ruth reminds us that there is no returning to Judah without reordering all the relationships in your life. I mean, Ruth is leaving her culture, her family. She's saying goodbye to any potential future. She has no idea if life is going to work out for her. She doesn't know. But it's taking up her cross, if you will, and following I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go. Radical repentance means a reordering of relationships. And some of you, you've, you've, you're, you're not running to Moab anymore, and you're good with returning to Judah, a.k.a. returning to Jesus, but you're not sure if you really want to reorder your relationships. Do I actually want to join a church meal group? What's that going to be like? I don't know. Could be good. Could be trouble. Do I actually want to sign up for this course? Ugh. Do I actually want to say goodbye to old friends? Do I actually want to cut off? My question for you this morning is who have you bound yourself to? Who have you bound up your life with? Are they on the road to Judah? Are they on the way to Bethlehem? Or are they going to pull you back to Moab? Ruth was like, I'm done with Moab, never been to Judah but I'm going to learn. Let's go. It reminds me of the story of my dad coming to faith. You've heard me talk about how my dad grew up as a Hindu in a Hindu home. I think he, you, you were number five out of six kids, something like that. And he met my mom at the University of Singapore. My mom was a Christian, uh, at least in, in name and and uh, he asked her out three times. She said no the first two times and then said yes the third time. I think that's the sort of standard dating protocol <laughs> back in the day. And um, when things got serious, she said, I- I'm not going to marry a Hindu. And you've heard me tell this story in a kind of joking way, like, and then he converted. Ha, 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 ha. The truth is it was a very serious moment. And he had f- begun to feel the emptiness of Hinduism and the appeal of this love of God in Christ Jesus. But it, he also was aware of how radical a step it would be. And when he told his family he was thinking about becoming a Christian, his dad said, what are you doing? You're going to bring shame on our family. You're gonna, we're going to be a disgrace in the community. You can't do this. Why can't you just go along without actually crossing this line? Not only did he become a Christian, but he got baptized right before their wedding. And at his baptism, he changed his name. His given name was Indra, which is the name of a Hindu god. And he took on the name, with my mom's idea, to take on the name David. He became David Pacquiao. Now, (laughs) baptism is a threshold In many other parts of the world, I know for us it's like, oh, that's cool. But I hope you understand what a significant moment that is that we all witnessed people doing, ten people doing, two weeks ago. I remember growing up as a kid, I'd had friends who, you know, would come to me to come with me to church—Hindus, Buddhists—they would they liked youth group. They would even maybe go up for prayer or whatever. But when it was over, it was like "I'm, I'm out. Baptism was the moment where you said, "This is real." I'm leaving any potential future behind, and your people, the church, will be my people. Amen. And your God will be my God. And so the moment that he got baptized was the moment that the family began to really cut him off and, 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 and sort of keep away. In fact, right before their wedding, his dad died very suddenly of a heart attack, and family members more than hinted that it was his fault. They didn't show up to the wedding, and for many, many, many years, there was no... Communication or contact when my sister and I were born, things softened a little bit. We would, but we would see them maybe once a year. Most of our cousin time was with my mom's side of the family, who were Christians. My dad's side of the family we'd see in a limited time. But then, as the years went on, and year after year, decade after decade, the witness of this faith for my dad began to turn the story around. And for my grandmother, his mom, on her deathbed, he got to lead her to faith in Christ for his brother-in-law the guy who was always would always show up to family functions drunk and obnoxious he got to pray with him on his deathbed and lead him to the lord his sister he got to lead in faith to the lord one of his nephews my cousins went overseas to study and encountered Christianity there and reached out to my dad my dad started to disciple him he says I follow Jesus today because of your dad he messaged me a couple years ago the story begins to turn around see I know in, in, in a few weeks we're going to hear about Boaz and Boaz the kinsman redeemer and that's great Boaz is a great character in the story but I'd like to suggest to you that it's actually Ruth who changes the story for everybody It's Ruth's steadfast love to Naomi that changes Naomi's name from being the bitter one to being the one who's got so much to be thankful for. It's Ruth who takes her dead father-in-law's legacy that he thought was over. Elimelech, my God, is king. And he went to his grave not seeing God be king, but he had no idea that the king, David, would come from that lineage. He had no idea. Ruth is the one who changes the story for everyone. And so in a way, yes, we know Boaz is a type of Jesus, but I would like to suggest to you that Ruth is a picture of Jesus. At the end of the day, what makes Jesus special, the reason why we say no other name, there is no one, there is no one, there is no one, is because no one will love you like Jesus loves you. No one... Went to the cross to carry your sin and your pain and your hurt. No one bound himself to you like Jesus did. And you can ask any religion in the world, they've got prophets and they've got wisdom and they've got truth, but it wasn't Muhammad on the cross and it wasn't Buddha on the cross. It was Jesus, the Son of God, who came and bled and died for you and for me. That's the power of this redeeming love. Why do we bind ourselves to Him? Because He bound Himself to you. He's the only one who does it. And so my question this morning as we get ready to come to the table is, who are you running to? What are you running to? And will you return to the Lord and to his people? Will you return? Will you come home to the Lord and to his people? Some of you are in the room and you've never repented like this before. Every move of God begins with repentance. Every great outpouring of the Spirit begins when people say, oh, it's time to return. Why did I leave the house of bread? Yes, there was famine, but that's where God works. I want to invite you this morning to come to the table, not in a way that goes through the motions, but that says, God, I need to come home to the bread that you give. To the bread that is your body. To the cup that is your blood. To Christ alone who saves. You're the one. You're the one. Would you bow your heads this morning? Where are you running? Or will you come home to the Lord and to his people? Will you listen to the one who binds himself to you?